Good morning, everybody. Hope we all had a good week. Um, We are going to uh, continue the study of our uh, Christmas family tree, but we are going to talk in greater depth today about the prophecies surrounding the largest branch of the tree, that being the house of David. Um, We're going to start off with the book of Isaiah. Uh, Full disclosure, Isaiah is probably my favorite book of the entire Old Testament. So uh, this uh, will be, I hope this is as enjoyable an experience for you today as it will be for me. So, uh, but at any rate, before we begin, just to tee things up as to where things stand, um, at the beginning of Isaiah is written Basically, during it's, it was written over the course of several years. The beginning of Isaiah, we're at the point where Israel has divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, it is a very dark time, a uh, very tempestuous time uh, for the Israelites. They are frequently at war with one another. Uh, An attempt has been made to try and bring the kingdom back together, but it has ended in spectacular failure. Uh, Beginning in Isaiah 7, the northern kingdom right now is actually beginning to plot to invade the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, So it seems as though these two uh, kingdoms are getting as well, about as well as the, you know, Romeo as the family of the Capulets, and I don't remember the, the Montagues, yes. Only there is no love story at the center of this. So, But at any rate, um, beginning with uh, chapter 7, um, verses uh, 10 through 11, um, can I have a volunteer to read that? And Let's just give everybody a minute to get on that page. We are going to move around here, but uh, verses 7 through 10, uh, verse, chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. Anybody? Okay. I think they want this recorded here. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask, if either, ask either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you also weary my God? Will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Thank you. One quick question. Uh, as I mentioned, the kingdom is split. What is the ultimate fate of the kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel? What happens to it? <laughs> Who takes it away? Assyrians. The Assyrians. And who are the Assyrians? 
They are Israel's worst enemy. They thought the Philistines were bad. They didn't see anything until the Assyrians came along. Um, as uh, I heard Dr. Fuller describe this one time, he said, the Assyrians were the guys who would dress in business suits, but they had the art of war down to perfection. They were all just so businesslike about it, so calculating and so psychotic about it. But they, that, that is what eventually happens to the northern kingdom of Israel. From what I've read on this, Ahaz is the king of, kingdom of the southern kingdom of Judah. He's the king of Judah. I do not believe that the Assyrian conquest has taken place, but it's very close. Um, have we, heard, have we uh, read the name Ahaz already before? Anybody? Has his name come up yet before? The genealogy? Yes, he's mentioned in the genealogy in Matthew. As we uh, noted, Matthew traces uh, Jesus' lineage through the royal, he goes through a royal lineage. And Ahaz is the current king. Um, Looking at Ahaz, he's of the house of Judah. He's a descendant of David. Uh, Does he display uh, David's characteristics? Does he display David's courage? This is a simple question. I'm not trying to trick anybody here. For the record, when I ask a question, I am not trying to trick you. <laughs> it, 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 I am slowballing the pitch. It, so, don't be afraid. To, don't be afraid to answer. No. Uh, does he show David's faithfulness? Doesn't appear to. He, I mean, Isaiah chastises him basically for you know saying, "Why are you doubt? Why are you at, Why are you doubting this?" Uh, so he doesn't appear to have. Inherited David's courage. He does not appear to have inherited Solomon's wisdom. Um, looking at this passage, what is the first? There are two things that are mentioned here which have not been previously mentioned in anything that we have read. Um, anybody care to point one of them out? Exactly. The first prophecy of a virgin birth. What else? There's one other. His name? Yes. Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God is with us. So, okay. With the uh, mention of the... uh, virgin birth, what's the significance of that? This, this, again, I'm not trying to trick you. Can that happen? No, it can't happen. Can't, there, there's only one way that can happen, and that is through divine intervention. So, um, but as I said, and at the end of this passage, um, it says, but before the boy, you shall choose right and wrong. The land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. 
as I said, I've already mentioned what's Israel's great, who's Israel's greatest enemy, and that's Assyria. Who could the other entity possibly be that they're referencing? Egypt, maybe? Maybe. I've thought about that myself, and here's where I, I might find that, I might, I won't say take issue with it, where I'd have to, as I said, this would be, you'd have to really sell me hard on this. The Assyrian conquest and the Babylonian captivity were about 150 years apart, and neither one has taken place. So I'm, I'm wondering, are the Babylonians really on the radar of Israel right now? But the Assyrians, I, I don't think Assyria is in doubt here that they're, but maybe Egypt. You know, Israel and Egypt have always had, I would say, a love-hate relationship. So, but at any rate, um, the house of David is mentioned, um, and we'll come back at the end of this and ask why that's all, why this is all significant here. So, moving over to chapter nine, verses ten through seven. Let's give everybody a minute to go there. Two through seven, as you are. Nine, two through seven. I give everybody a minute to uh, get there. Harold? Okay, let me get over there. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You, sh you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of a harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you, shall speak, so, for you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as is in the battle of Midian. For every, boot of the, for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For the child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and hold it, with, uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That's it. here uh, in their uh, school days in uh, English class enjoyed analyzing poetry. <laughs> it's okay if you did. Some, some people love doing it. Yeah, there are a few people who raised their hands. Well, my hat's off to you. Um, it was not something I was naturally good at. I, I struggled at it. And, but... For me, what I see in this is an even further description as to what the promised Messiah is going to be like. You, you mentioned, it's mentioned in your wonderful counselor, mighty God. 
Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Does anybody see a reference there to the Trinity, perhaps? Absolutely. I, I would think so. Okay. Okay. Yep. In the New Testament, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. So, but what else about this? Does anything in here really jump out at anybody that gets a Tom? I've fixated on the last sentence. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It has nothing to do with men. It has nothing to do with earth. Mm -hmm. It's all about God. Okay. Okay. Who else is mentioned in this? David. David. There's that name again, David. As I said, the biggest branch on this family Christmas tree here. Um, but any anybody else have any comments about this? As I said, this this you know I've read through this several times, and you know the mentioning of David and the fact that this new king will be God Himself, and and in previously in Isaiah it's mentioned His name will be Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. So. This new king is not is not going to be human, per se. This this will be this will be a divine king, truly a divine king, uh, which is I, Isaiah is prophesizing about. Yes. He'll reign forever. Mm-hmm. God is a, is God eternal. He'll be the light of the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's always been for me an interesting question when I hear people ponder this. I mean. Has the Trinity always existed? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Has it existed from time, or did the Father create the Son? And I would contend no. All three have always existed from time, from you know, since before time, and they are they are all everlasting. So again, this prophecy giving even greater description as to. Uh, who the Messiah will be. Now, we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 11 to tee this, to get some perspective here. I have a hunch by the time this chapter was written that the Assyrian conquest had taken place. Um, not with what's in the passage here that we're going to read, or, but in the following passage. Maybe go, Let's just go ahead and add chapter, verse 11 there for perspective here. So 1 through 11, I'll put it up here for the record. I don't but uh, 11 verses 1 through 11, uh, any volunteer, who would like to read? Okay. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. 
He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious." In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. Thank you. Let me start off by asking this question. Up till now, Isaiah has referenced David. Here he mentions, he goes back to Jesse, talks about the root from Jesse. I have thought about this and I cannot come up with a good answer. So I'm going to pick all of your brains here. Why do you think Isaiah may have done that? I mean, Jesse was not a king. He was just the father of David. But why would, why would he reference a branch from Jesse this time around. Well. No, you're, you're fine. Um, just guessing. Um, the root of Jesse, um, from Jesse back, would go back to Abraham. I mean, that would be the ultimate root of Jesse, the, the growing plant of David. Okay. All right, any other thoughts? Did you? Did I see your hand go? Okay. Well, isn't there also the promise of David that is uh, his, his, his son would, would continue as king as long as they followed the laws of God? Back, going back to 2 Samuel, yes, yes. Which, which we had um, read last week, but as a this is something that has, has baffled me a little bit. I mean, as I said, all we know is, as I said, Jesse is the father of David. And, and as I said, he did not arise you know, to David's greatness or anything of that. Um, but you know what? It's, it's only referencing Jesse, but it's really about the shoot from Jesse. So, the, so, okay. the, so the, 
pivotal point, the subject is the shoot. Okay. Which would be that she predicted the future. Okay. Jesus. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned that. That was something I had not looked at. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Okay. It's not really about Jesse. Okay. It's about the shoot. Okay. But then you can ask, is the shoot David or is it somebody else? Yeah, well, and, and there, there's some duality to that mm-hmm. because it's both David and, and mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's also showing the importance of, uh, of being able to trace your lineage to mm-hmm. Jesse, even if we don't know a lot about Jesse. It mm-hmm. seems in the Old Testament that was important. <clears throat> okay. And later on, looking at the description here, how he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness. So if, you, if we look through the majority of the rest of the passage, do we get an, a, an even further description as to what we can expect from, from what's coming here? Peaceful kingdom, okay. So is Isaiah building upon what he's already prophesied about? With Again, this is not a trick question. Well, you know, the, the people of Israel were looking for a conquering king. Mm-hmm. And this is a prophecy of peace. This doesn't talk at all about, about mm-hmm. war. Mm-hmm. It's not militaristic. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's interesting that you mention that, Tom. Um, when you read the New Testament, read the four Gospels, do you get the impression that the Jews were expecting somebody like Superman who was going to free them from the Romans? It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that what they got? No. no. <laughs> yes. Okay. Where are you where are you connecting those dots? In, uh, in verse ten says the root of Jesse shall blah 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 to uh, it shall the Gentiles seek. So I don't think Gentiles were sought out David as, as much as they would have. Mm-hmm. Okay. In my translation it says the peoples, but that you know the nations will rally you know, doesn't doesn't limit itself to Israel there. Whatever word doesn't say Jews is the other guys. Very true. Yes, very much so. Okay. Okay. Well, as I said, the reason why why we added the last verse in verse eleven, um, as I said, re- that is why I think in that final verse the northern kingdom has been obliterated at this point, given the reference there to the Assyrians. But it also mentions Babylonia. It does mention that. So maybe my previous assumption there might be wrong about who the other feared king is. So anything else about this passage that really strikes you? Okay. Uh, because you know, they're talking about the root of Jesse, 
that there will be uh, full knowledge of the Lord in the mm-hmm. peaceful kingdom, mm-hmm. and then uh, that the peoples and the nations mm-hmm. uh, will be glorious. I mean, this is, to me, that's what it is. It's mm-hmm. the second coming. Okay. The second time to recover the remnant that is left of his people. Okay. I, th- I take a lot of um, comfort in that because I come from a family with Jewish roots. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is David mentioned in the book of Revelation? <laughs> you, you, well, since, since you mentioned that, you've got a 50-50 chance of guessing correctly. <laughs> and if you guess incorrectly, as I said, the great thing about guessing is if you keep doing it, eventually you will guess correctly. So the answer is yes, he is. Yes, yes. A reference is made to David in the book of Revelation, and we will see that next week. So, just to give you all a heads up, uh, the, just how significant Dave... Again next week. <laughs> Same question. Okay. Then I'll be thinking, how can I possibly tr- stump these people here? <laughs> I, may, I may then try to... Yes, Chris? Just back to the stump of Jesse. I wrote the stump of Jesse. You mentioned earlier, this is poetic. Mm-hmm. So it's like a chainsaw has cut the line of David. And all that's left is from Abraham or Adam, however you want to count it, forward to that mm-hmm. stump that's there. But God is promising that even out of that dead stump, there will come a shoot. And at that mm-hmm. day and time, there were members of the house of David left alive. Mm-hmm. Indirectly descendants of the house, maybe not the king's descendants. But. Mm-hmm. So it's like a promise that somewhere in this dead thing, this I have this image, if you, I used to clear timber, so when you go into a field mm-hmm. that's been clear cut, it's just dead stumps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's horribly ugly, and it's dead. And then out of that, God's going to bring life. Okay. Had an interesting yeah. interpretation there. Very interesting. Okay. Well, as you can see, um, during this very tempestuous time, Isaiah does prophesy pretty heavily about uh, the Messiah. And these are just three passages. There are others. Uh, We could probably do a full semester on this. Uh, But for in the interest of time, since we don't have that, I've I've picked, of course, these three right here. But... um, is it Isaiah gives a gives a pretty poetic description um, of what God promises. We're going to turn now to uh, the book of Jeremiah. What significant event has happened at this point? None beyond you know after the conquest of the northern kingdom. What has happened to the southern kingdom of the kingdom of uh, Judah? Where was this? Where was Jeremiah written? What city? It's yes. This is being written during the Babylonian captivity. Many, many, many Israelites are being held there. Um, the Babylonians have destroyed the Assyrians, and they have invaded heavily into uh, the kingdom. They do not, do they take uh, Jerusalem? 
They destroy, I mean, they, just, they, they hit it, but they don't conquer it. They're unable to conquer it. Well, they, they destroy a lot of the city, but they're not, I don't think they're able to fully take it. Chris, do you, do you know if I'm... That's right. It happens under the Babylonians. It's mm-hmm. the Nebuchadnezzar that takes... The Assyrian kingdom is fairly short lived Yeah. And okay. planted uh, by the father of Nebuchadnezzar mm-hmm. around the uh, five, probably seven... I'm not going to hold you to it, so don't don't worry about it. But at any rate, Jeremiah is written during the Babylonian captivity. A very, I mean, can you imagine, you know, being held off in some faraway land? Um, how despondent you're going to be. You know, but the prophet Jeremiah, though, is not very despondent. He. Um, isn't it funny what happens to him when, when the Babylonians let him return? <laughs> you know, they, think, they find him and they kind of think he's crazy a little bit. Well, just, just, just go. Go back. <laughs> but at any rate, um, chapter uh, 23, verses 1 through 6. Um, yes, okay. I'll be right there. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, uh, concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people. It is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for your evil doings, says the Lord. Then I myself will gather, gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any uh, be missing, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land." In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Thank you. This question is rhetorical, but do we see uh, some familiar verbiage? Of course, going back to uh, David and the righteous branch. As I said, this is, you know, the Israelites are in captivity at this point. Um, But Jeremiah brings, as did Isaiah, he brings David into the mix. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask the critical question here. I've said this last week, and you know, David is the most significant king in Israel's history. He's the most, probably, quite possibly the most significant figure in the Old Testament. Maybe, maybe Abraham or Moses might be the two challengers for that. But how does, why does David play so prominently into this? I'm going to give you a hint here. Think about the times we've been talking about. 
if you need a moment to think about this, but why is David continuously referenced in this? Any thoughts? He was the high point of Israel's history. Okay. Because he was, he was the military leader. He was the, the brains behind it became a strong military power mm-hmm. within the region. Okay. And that's what they were looking for. Okay. So the golden age of the kingdom of Israel. Yeah. But he's also very humble for God. His wife was upset when he danced in front of the crowd and buried himself. Okay. Okay. Well, think about think of it this way. Uh, let me just throw this out to you. You're in a very dark time, and you're gonna are you to get inspiration? Do you find it yourself that you're gonna go back and try and think about better days when you were a stronger nation? Do you think maybe God is God is working along those lines here? I, I'd be inclined to think so. I, I was I was struck by the use of the first person. Um, it says, "I myself will gather the remnant from where I have driven them." So, what I picked up from that was is God was going to intervene, and they were there as a chastisement for their sin, mm-hmm. and God had put them there. Mm-hmm. And so, even the, just like, just like uh, Pharaoh was God's instrument, so the Babylonians were God's instrument. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd disagree with you on that. I mean, you know, the Assyrians <laughs> may have been God's instruments. Well, I mean, idol worship had just yeah. the northern king, the kingdom of Israel, was just beyond redemption at that point. So, but. It said, you're, like I said, you've been conquered. You've been divided. You know, how, are you, how are we going to put this thing back together? Who are you going to reference to maybe get, to get the inspiration that you're needing to do that? Yeah. You're going to reference Does David still hold significant in Israel now? I mean, just look at the Israeli flag. So, but I think it is, it's, this is where I think David, why David figures so prominently in this is, again, he is Israel's greatest king, and to get the culture back together, to, you know, to patch, I won't say patch things, patch things up, it's, it's probably shattered beyond, but you want a reference to your previous greatness to try and come back together. And it's like, we, we, we did this once before. And I think God is saying, greatness begets even further, can beget even further greatness. And that's what God intends, has planned here. Um, the new Israel will be coming out from the old Israel. So, but any other, any, yes, Nancy? Mm-hmm. But the heroes have not come from the expected places. Mm-hmm. 
Savior did not come from mm-hmm. the palace, mm-hmm. and his grandparents were not mm-hmm. kings, and the mm-hmm. sons of David did. Mm-hmm. Just to maybe give a build off on this with a contemporary reference, if we need to come back together, are we going to look to George Washington or Abraham Lincoln as inspiration? Or are we going to, um, is that possibly who we're going to look at? As in, if the Brits come apart, are they going to look to Churchill? Perhaps? Yeah. <laughs> well... Chamberlain, well, uh, that's an interesting answer. <laughs> that Chamberlain is not the first person I would have thought of if, if I were trying to um, build off of my heritage to, to come back together here to, for inspiration during a very dark time. But you know, Churchill, of course, leading Britain during the Blitz and going on the radio every night to tell the British people what they could do you know, to help ensure victory over the Nazis. But... Uh, but again, as I said, that is why I think David is constantly referenced here. We're, we're in a very bad period, and, and David, is, David, of course, is favored by God. Yes, Judith? Well, and you just said it. David is favored by God, and in a way it's a kind of peculiar. It's, here it is, I'm a Presbyterian, and thinking about how God has a hand in his story being played out for generations until the end times. But God favored David, period. And we just have to accept the fact that he was in God's heart. And I, I do find it peculiar because God, uh, David was so sinful and so, yet so good. He was sinful, he was good. But God favored David as opposed to uh, other people in history, maybe. I don't know. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of battling this one okay. myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, David is favored. I mean, to argue differently, I think, would be to argue against reality. So. But God wouldn't let David build him. He wouldn't build it, didn't do that. He says, you're, you're a man of war, but your son Solomon's going to do that. But yeah, you, you won't build it. You're right about that. But, but any other thoughts as to, as, again, I've given, given you my interpretation. Are there any other interpretations out there as to why... We keep referencing David. Yes? I'm, I'll need to look. Let me look at the text again. What are you, where are you seeing that? What, what verse is this? Can you? Um, two, and three. two and three, okay. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend to my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away, you have not bestowed care on them. I will bestow punishment, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture. So the question is, is Jesus part of that remnant? I, 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 just a quick intuitive answer, my, I would say no. 
Jesus is the solution. He's not, not part of the remnant. But he came from David and he was a people. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't driven out into another land. I mean, mm-hmm. Technically I mean, he was because his uh, Joseph took Mary and the baby to Egypt to escape uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the Herod. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a little bit of a, a mirror mm-hmm. image of the history mm-hmm. in that regard, but it's, mm-hmm. th- this is talking, this is way before Jesus mm-hmm. when it's written, but it, there is there is some mirroring of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I'd, need to, I'd need to think about that probably in a little bit longer, but I'd be inclined right now to say no. But ask me in a day or two, I might I might agree with you. Yeah. <clears throat> but this might be the way it can be resolved. Okay. Jesus is fully human and fully divine. Mm-hmm. In his divine character, he is not part of the remnant. He's the Word of God. But in his humanity, he is part of the remnant because he's of the house of the Egyptian. Everybody like that answer? They're, they're, they're good answer. Good answer. Okay. Microphone to Chris. Okay. Well, I said this is kind of where Trinitarian theology might answer our question. David, as a Jesus as a human being, is part of the house and lineage of David and therefore part of the remnant. But as the Word of God made flesh, as the Son of God, He's God Himself and is not part of the remnant. He's the Messiah. So it, it's a way of, in His humanity, He comes from the house and the lineage of David and Abraham. But in His divine nature, He's beyond them. Thank you, Chris. Okay. Yes, Court. That's an interesting observation you have there, Court. So, uh, thank you. All right, now, very quickly, um, let me give everybody a second to turn to the uh, book of Micah, if you need a minute. It's almost at the end of the Old Testament for those of you who need, who need a cue there. Ten silver dollars, where was David from? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. What are we going to talk about here? Bethlehem. You guys are good. (laughs) (laughs) Who uh, here was on the uh, trip to Israel last year? Besides myself? Okay. I've been asked... uh, my friends and relatives on, on the time I was there, 
And I was, I've told them I, I've had mixed feelings about it. You know, I said, yes, I'm, I'm in a very significant place. I'm at the place of the birth of our Lord. But looking at it, it was also pretty depressing. I said, you know, there, this, is act, this actually looks worse than Detroit. And I do mean that sincerely. Um, it, it's not a nice place now. Um, but at any rate, uh, very quickly, uh, Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. Uh, can I get somebody to read? Judith, okay. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small <clears throat> among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, <clears throat> whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord of his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. We will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders. And it goes on, who will rule the land. Thank you, Judith. Okay, um, doing a little bit of research here. I, from what I can tell, the book of Micah was written at a rep between roughly 730 BC, shortly at around the time of the Assyrian invasion. Um, why, other than it being the birthplace of David, why is Bethlehem prophesied in the Old Testament? Any thoughts? Why would it be significant? Obviously for the obvious reason of it being the birthplace of David, but can anybody think of any other reasons? As that it's, it's a small town, even smaller during the time, but it's being mentioned here. At one time it was a very fertile agricultural area that provided sustenance. Okay. At one time it was a, a pretty fertile area, Louise. I'm, I'm sorry. It's court. I'm not sure if this is what you're looking for, but um, I understand Bethlehem means house of bread, and so it would be fitting for the bread of life to come mm -hmm. from Bethlehem. A name can tell a lot sometimes, but I, I think you're dead on here. Okay. The reason why I brought this up this week, when we uh, come back next week, uh, we're going to talk about how Matthew really goes out of his way to reference what's been said in the Old Testament here. Uh, and Bethlehem is, is mentioned um, in the Gospel of Matthew. But um, where exactly is Bethlehem? It is in the kingdom of Judah. And... Of the twelve, who was the who was the one that uh, was bestowed upon the covenant? Judah. So, we're coming around full circle here, from uh, with the nativity. So, anyway, any other thoughts, questions, comments?
Mm -hmm. True. Birth. Okay, humble birth. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it might be important for the day's war and the thing in Jerusalem. When we were there, if you remember, we drove down a street. It's difficult to conceive how small Israel is in the first place. And what they, the, the other side calls the left, the West Bank, is not the West Bank of the Jordan. It's many hundred square miles. And we drove down a street to go to a restaurant, and on the left side was a restaurant. On the right side was a sign that said West Bank. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the way that the English cut out Israel in the first place mm -hmm. as a sovereign state is just un, is untenable because it's like Swiss cheese. Mm -hmm. And there were other guys everywhere, and they mm -hmm. made no sense. Mm -hmm. And that's been part of the trouble yeah. forever. You remember driving past Rachel's tomb? I mean, the huge wall. I mean, well, we it must have been 20 feet tall with watch, I mean, guard towers. It's only five, I think it's only about five, as the crow flies, five miles away from the Temple Mount. But in terms of the political and cultural matters, it's, it's a thousand miles apart. But any other comments? Well, let's close with a word of prayer. Almighty God, we are grateful for your many blessings. We are especially grateful for the gift of salvation you have given us through your Son and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask that you be with us today as we go to worship. Open our minds and our hearts so that we may hear with clarity everything you intend for us to hear and observe. For it is in your Son's holy and precious name we ask this in all things. Amen.